0: Hey everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Adelic. Today's guest is Eric Godsey, who is, uh, what an awesome human being, I just have to say. So, really happy about this guest uh, on the show today. I think we had a great conversation, good chemistry, and uh, I'm always feeling really satisfied uh, when, when I have a good guest conversation. I don't like to call them interviews so much. Conversations is really, really what I'm looking for is a rich, intellectually stimulating, fulfilling conversation. And usually I don't record these intros until a little bit after I record the show, but I just finished recording with Eric. And I just have to say, I really, I really did like this, this podcast a lot. I think you guys are going to like it as well. We ran into a little bit of a hiccup in the beginning, some Skype issues, some Wi-Fi issues. I don't know what was going on. Sometimes technology doesn't work in your favor, but we made we made it work. We got it done. Uh, I hope you guys don't mind. Uh, maybe a little glitch here and there. It's going to happen for whatever reason. The Skype gods were not were not with us today. Totally, um, but other than that. Great, great show, great human being, and um, really smart dude, uh, really smart dude, and really enjoy the conversation. So uh, that's pretty much it. I'm not really going to go into too much here. I guess the only the other thing I will say is, you know, a lot of times I have guests on the show, and um, maybe you're, you know, obviously, if you're longtime listeners of this show, you know, the sort of style already. But for maybe new people here, we kind of jump into it right away. So, you know, I just I we, we kinda dove deep like right away. So if uh uh prepare yourselves, buckle in, cause we go straight from uh from hey, how you doing to Anima and Animus <laughs> uh within the first like ten minutes. But it's a good one, it's a good journey. Um and I hope you guys are gonna enjoy it. With that being said, uh just wanna give a quick shout out to Chris Carter. Chris, thank you so much uh, for the the artwork. Um, amazing, amazing stuff. Really appreciate it. Uh, and a couple other things that I totally forgot, but just doing it off the top of my head, just gonna say a real big thank you to everybody. Uh, thank you so much for all the five star ratings and reviews that we have on Apple Podcasts, uh, which I used to call iTunes, which is I guess not called iTunes anymore. It's called Apple Podcasts. So. We have 121 five star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, and that's awesome. I just love it. I noticed that we've been getting a lot of five star rev- uh, ratings, but uh, those reviews, you know, uh, people are slacking there. You don't want to, you don't want to write to me. You don't want to, you don't want to write some deep personal message that's going to make me smile ear to ear and then personally thank you on the show, call out your name, and everyone's going to, uh, you know. Be like, okay, no one cares. Uh, fast forward to the show. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, you guys, you guys make this show go, and you make you make my day every time you you do that. It's the fuel, it's the fire, it's the engine behind this podcast. So. It's uh, And it really does help the show, too. It supports the show and and helps it grow and get guests on and and things like that. So thank you to all the people that do that. Thank you to all my Patreon supporters. Uh, Thank you to everybody who's in the WhatsApp group. We're going to have a fan podcast pretty soon, and that is going to be for people who are uh, Patreon patrons. I don't know why I couldn't say that. They're patrons. It's kind of weird to say, like, people are a bunch of patrons. You are my patrons. I, I am your patron saint. Uh, but yeah, the people who are financially contributing Federal Reserve notes uh, of pieces of paper over to me on Patreon. So my patrons, and then there's people who have joined the WhatsApp chat group. And then from that chat group, we're really drilling it down. We're going from listeners to Patreon supporters to people in the private WhatsApp group, the Mycadelic Inner Sanctum. I think that's what we're calling it. It's the Mycadelic Inner Sanctum. Dr. Strange has the, the sanctums in which he operates out of in uh, that movie. There's like the the New York Sanctum and the other Sanctum. All right, so this is the Mycadelic Sanctum, uh, Inner Sanctum. <clears throat> so we're going to do, out of that WhatsApp group, we're going to have a fan podcast, and we're going to probably do two episodes. We'll have about four or five different people on each one really looking forward to that that's going to be really exciting and if you're not in the the whatsapp psychedelic inner sanctum chat group you have to get in there because this is where we talk about everything beyond the show it's 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 the peach pit after dark for all you 90s kids who remember remember beverly hills 90210 uh and then they had like the peach pit where they hung out it was kind of like this 50s diner place but then but then they had like a nightclub at night when they started to get older and like hip. All right. So (laughs) peach bed after dark, mycadelic WhatsApp chat group patrons. What else? Yeah. You guys got to get in that group. It's, it's just uh, it's awesome. I mean, it's not even, it's not even about me. It's about, it's about bringing you guys together. I mean, that's really, that's really the thing here. It's like, because of the, the WhatsApp chat group, uh we're able to have listeners of this show who have contributed on Patreon join the WhatsApp chat group and get to meet each other and talk and share articles and videos and best practices morning routines meditation practices breathing practices whatever i'm just talking about some things actually that someone recently shared cold shower routines and you know using heat and cold in different ways and keto food recipes and stuff. So it's uh it's really cool. You know, people also sharing their personal stories, their trip reports, stuff that we're not going to say on this podcast or stuff that no one's really going to talk about anywhere else. We're talking about it in the WhatsApp chat group. Um and and really, you know, this brings me this brings me to kind of full circle with like today's guest and and everything. It's uh it's all about finding the others. You know, it's about finding the others. Timothy Leary, uh, one of the great thinkers of, of our time, um, you know, he, he urged us to do this and here we are and we're doing it. And, and I'll, I'll just read this quote because, uh, I really, I really like it a lot. And I it really resonates with me. And I think maybe it'll resonate with you. He says, admit it, you aren't like them. You're not even close. You may occasionally dress yourself up as one of them, watch the same mindless television shows as they do, maybe even eat at the same fast food restaurants sometimes. But it, but it seems, that the more you try and fit in, the more you feel like an outsider watching the normal people as they go about their automatic existences. For every time you say club passwords like "Have a nice day" and "Weather's awful today," huh? You earn. Uh, you yearn deep inside to say, forbidden, uh, to say forbidden things like tell me something that makes you cry or what do you think deja vu is for? Face it, you even want to talk to that girl in the elevator. But what if that girl in the elevator and the balding man who walks past you in the cubicle at work are thinking the same thing? What if they're thinking exactly what you're thinking? What is this all about? What are we doing here? What's really going on? Who knows? Who knows what you might learn from taking a chance on a conversation with a stranger. Everyone carries a piece of the puzzle. Nobody comes into your life by mere coincidence. There are no accidents. Trust your instincts. Do the unexpected. Find the others. I just love that, man. I mean, it's just such a such a, a truth. You know, here we are in this world right now where for the first time in history that we know of, We're able to connect with people that we can't see. I'm able to talk into this cylindrical steel thing with a foam thing on the top that has like a little tree branch-esque vine wire coming out, you know, like, what is this? I'm just a caveman. I don't know what this wire is. Unfrozen caveman lawyer, Phil Hartman, SNL, 1990s, late 80s, Google it, genius, We're able to talk into these things and then by wires, I'm able to transmit a message all the way across to the ends of the earth, who knows where, all over the world. And we can connect and we can find the others and we can, we can talk about the things that are really important and we can build upon what's come before us and make it better make it more fun, make it more enjoyable. That's what it's all about. And uh, I think uh, Eric Godsey on this episode does a good job of breaking all this down. I'm I'm glad I found him. I'm glad we connected. Find the others. Join the psychedelic cult, I mean, chat group. <laughs> My wife shot nine times in New York City. I mean, Kansas. Joe Dirt, funny movie. When I first watched it, went back, watched it, wasn't as funny. But Christopher Walken, brilliant. All right, guys, that's enough from me. Thank you to everyone that supports the show. Thank you to everyone who contributes. If you want to get in that WhatsApp chat group, just become a Patreon member, and it's awesome. And, yeah, and I'll I'll post all these links and stuff, and maybe I'll even include this quote by Timothy Leary. Find the others. Enjoy this podcast. Eric Godsey. Peace. Psychedelics so are illegal not because a loving government is concerned that you
1: may jump out of a third-story window Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information
0: processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison.
1: Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the
0: right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else.
1: Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Voice of perception. Information
0: is power, but we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The
2: opportunity.
0: But sure. um yeah man, I, I just uh, want to thank you for making the time, being on the show. Eric Godsey, who is a cognitive psychologist, psychonaut, host of the Meta Programming Podcast, uh and twenty-one percent into Carl Jung's collected works. Am I right about that?
1: I'm now twenty three. Twenty three. Don't stop.
0: Yeah. Can't stop, won't stop. Awesome. And you're an you're an onnit boy, or you you're affiliated with on it, you work for them.
1: Yeah, uh, I work more on Aubrey's brand than on it itself. But I basically copywriter, researcher, uh, just general do shit when there's shit to be done, dude.
0: Nice, nice. I I really hope that that's on a business card somewhere.
1: I'm trying to get them to let me to make my title the director of psyche, but they they have some resistance to that.
0: Well, I think it's your job to uh infiltrate their psyches in order to, you know, persuade them to, to do that. So all to, I'm
1: saying is wait until January. And nice. We'll see if I have that title, yeah.
0: That sounds good. Yeah, big fan of of uh both Aubrey's and uh and on it as well. I like their uh shroom tech, which I use quite frequently, so um, use it today. Yeah, nice, man. It's good stuff. Um Yeah, so yeah, like I think Not sure exactly when I I became aware of you, but I, I heard you talking about something and I was like, yeah. I was like, yes, that's that's it. And I'm like, I gotta talk to this guy. So thanks for thanks for talking to me today. And um, yeah, like I mentioned before, you're 23% into Carl Jung's collected works. Uh, I'm a huge Young fan myself, and I'm not anywhere near that. I, I sort of got into him from Joseph Campbell, being very interested in Joseph Campbell and mythology yeah. and that sort of thing. How did that how did it happen for you? How did you get involved with uh your young obsession?
1: This is actually an interesting story. Um, I think it was like 19 smoking a lot of weed, trying to read and write philosophy. I thought I could understand the world through logic and everything I wrote was bullshit, but I was, I had such a grandiose ego that that's how I was spending my 19th year on the earth. And I met this kid who was more insane than me. And, uh, you know, he actually ended up, in prison because he got drunk and hit someone and killed them and he was trying to explain the world through mathematics but he actually didn't know how to even do algebra but he introduced me to jung by explaining to me the idea that there's the way he explained it which is completely wrong but it's what birthed the whole curiosity he was like there's no such thing as women men make up the idea of women and this dude came up with this theory and then he gave me the book about uh, the anima and the animus. And uh, of course, when I actually read it, his interpretation of it was completely wrong. But it just it changed my com- it completely changed how I understood how I am attracted to women, you know, because there's the idea of the anima and animus projection. And when you see a human and you're attracted to them, you don't know anything about them. And the sensation of being in love is basically they fit the rough archetype of your ideal lover and you project that onto them and you fall in love with your ideal. Mm. And as you get to know them over the course of maybe four to eight months, you slowly start to realize who they actually are as a person. And most people break up with whoever they started dating after six months and go find a new person to project their anima onto. And that just sent me down this rabbit hole. Well, I read a little bit then
0: did that? Did that? Uh, real quick. Did that? Did that make you feel like kind of like nihilistic or hopeless at all? Like, oh shit! Like we're just projecting ourselves onto other people. Like this isn't real. Or how did that make you feel?
1: No. So it actually made me uh, intensely curious because what it hints at, and I think the thing about Jung that's most interesting is that there is a universe inside of my individual psyche that i have no idea of what it is and i want to know what it is
2: Mm.
1: and i think that's the thing about Jung that is most attractive to me is that there is so i wanted to understand the objective world and i had a grandiose ego and i was like i'll find out the perfect logical truth about the nature of reality and write it down and become famous (laughs) <laughs> I was an idiot, but what Jung introduced to me is like your the individual's hero's journey is essentially, and the thing that you can try to know is your individual cosmology, like there's a universe onto yourself inside of you, and the anima and animus are two aspects of this grand kingdom and um as I study you more kind of the insight is that if you understand that, you can actually get to the universal human nature. And that's kind of my life goal is to understand human nature as much as I can. And the anima animus idea was the first thing that kind of helped me realize that there's something going on in my psyche other than my ego.
0: Yeah. Wow. And yeah. And then when you understand all that, write a book about it, become famous and put a Z on the end. no one will know yeah Yeah, no one will know yeah um oh the audience missed that joke from before the podcast it was a good one folks um yeah that's 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 interesting man and uh so what was it what was it before though that really that that made you curious about this stuff you mentioned like you know you're you're gonna write a bunch of stuff you're gonna figure things out in this logical way uh you know very egoic you know i could kind of relate to that a little bit too right like i I think uh for the longest time I thought like, man, if I just if I get to this like peak of knowledge and wisdom, I'll be able to just plant my flag there and be like, I got it all figured out now. Now I have all the answers. But uh yeah, it took a long time for me to like first of all to get to that point where I started to become curious, and then also to fall back down to earth and realize, oh, okay, it's it's a little bit different than that. So what was it for you that like really got you got you initially curious into this path?
1: Yeah, so uh, there's, you know, the long story, there's the medium version, and there's the short version. I'll kind of do the short, medium version. And it's that uh, in school, whenever I got bored in a class, I could basically debate the teacher and kind of get control of the class. And because I could do that, I thought that that meant I was smart. And then I played sports and i was good at basketball and so i had this feeling of like oh i'm i'm the top person in the world Hmm. but i I was a fucking idiot it was high school and i thought that because i could out debate someone logically and i could put a ball through a hoop i was you know that the world would see my greatness and then i got to college and I'm the first person in my family to go to college. And I got fucking punched in the mouth my first semester of college. I failed all my classes. My GPA was 0.0, 0 or it was 0. 0.3. I should have been expelled, but because I had the, my mom's GI Bill, the school knew I was getting paid and they just didn't process the paperwork. But it was that semester where I started smoking weed for the first time in my life because I thought I was too smart. I thought that weed was for, you know, fucking idiots. And again, in hindsight, I was the idiot. But I started smoking weed and I started getting kind of uh, introspective, mm-hmm. and it's crazy, man. I didn't know who Joe Rogan was, but his first stand-up on Netflix, he makes the joke about like we think we're smart, but if the electricity goes out, what is everyone in this room going to do? <laughs> yeah. We're going to sit down and wait because we don't know how to fucking do any of this shit. We don't know how to make any of this shit. And he was talking about like the microphones and TVs and, and uh, phones and shit.
0: Yeah, I, and- I love that. I love that bit. And then he says like, I think he ends it with like, how long, when I, if I send you out in the woods with an ax, how long before you come exactly. back with a cell phone? <laughs>
1: exactly. And I was super high and I just had this like, almost like a religious moment where I realized, oh, my God, I'm getting goosebumps right now just fucking remembering this. I was like, oh, my God, I don't know how to do anything. And, dude, it was such a massive moment that the environment in which it happened is so anticlimactic. I was fucking on this gross yellow couch that was also served as my bed most nights in a dirty ass room in front of a big screen TV where my bed was on the floor cause I didn't have a mattress and just like my whole fucking world changed. And then from that point on, I like I channeled the ego that I developed playing basketball and debating teachers in high school into just studying philosophy and psychology. Like it was like my life depended on it. And in a way, you know, it did. I, I, I really had a hard two or three years after that where I almost ripped my mind apart trying to find out what I believed and what was true. And that's a different part of the story. But to answer the question you asked, that's how I became curious.
0: Yeah, wow. Yeah, man. Um, Well, that's... that's that's making magic right there if you can channel that sort of, you know, that I guess maybe darker, shadowy, egoic side, you know, the side that's egotistical and, you know, doing all that stuff um and and harness that power because it's power, right? I mean, it's like Absolutely. It, you know, I just got back from And we can, we can talk about this, but I just, I will make this point. I just got back from like six months in the Peruvian Amazon working at an ayahuasca center. And it's, it's funny when a lot of people come down there and, you know, not to like disparage anybody, but like a lot of people have these thoughts of like, Oh, like, you know, like everything is pristine and beautiful and it's all light and love. And like, if a mosquito lands on me, I'll just like shoo him away, Mr. Mosquito. And it's like, no, you know, there's, there's like, you could tap into like some darker you know energy here to and, and then and then use it for just being like a normal human being right you know I, I it's a little bit of a roundabout way of, of trying to make a point where I'm when I'm what I'm saying is that like I think it's really cool that you were able to to harness that power uh, that sort of negative car you know negative energy you could probably word it better than me being uh, more well versed in the Jungian uh, psychology but you get what I'm saying right I mean that, that, that must have been a big moment for you to realize that right
1: absolutely so um first don't disparage yourself that was great and then in the moment when i was doing it i wasn't doing it out of like i'm smart or i'm wise it was like it was my only adaptive tool because the world had shattered my belief that gave me that power but i still wanted that power so i used my addiction to the feeling of having power to actually get me into the books. And it wasn't wisdom, it was necessity. And now in hindsight, I can talk about it like I was wise, but truly I was a terrified 19-year-old who had tasted power and who thought he could then retrieve that feeling of power through books. And of course that led me to do psychedelics and that just completely changed my association to power but I do think that you're right and it's that the human is equally light and dark and to say that in a better way like you are capable of the most beautiful things that humankind hasn't even dreamt that it could do and you are also capable and it is the potential is already within your body to murder and rape and mutilate and destroy another human that's in you Period. And you get power from both or you get energy from both. Yeah. And if you've done the work to try to imagine the type of work you want to put out into the world before you die, like. You can use either fuel source, but then, you know, there is myth over myth over myth about be careful what type of energy you use to make your dreams come true. Because the myths show you again and again, if you choose the dark side only, it can be quicker and you might have more orgasms and make more money. But the end result seems to be disaster. And But I do think that there's a way down the middle. Yeah. If you look at, like, have you heard of the book Iron John?
2: Yeah. Haven't Love read it, but I've heard of it. Book.
1: I yeah. just started to read it and it's actually taken away from me reading Jung. I'll read Jung for like 15 minutes and it'll be like... Uh, this is really hard. I could just read this other book that's basically about Jungian psychology but was written 10 years ago and it's way easier to read. So I've been doing that. And um, one of the ideas that he talks about is that in men specifically, because he's, he's trying not to speak for women, that there needs to be a woman <clears throat> who studies Jung who can then talk about the woman's experience. Mm-hmm. So he focuses on the man's experience. And there's this thing that has happened. A lot of men in our generation around my age We did not have a father who was present, who showed us the darker side of being a man, but yet having that part of the man tamed within the human. Right. What I had was an absent father and a mother, and it's not her fault, but whenever I exuded any part of the masculine energy, especially if it was in any way associated with power, Or aggression, or like lust, you know, she would shame it. And again, she has to deal with her own demons and she wasn't doing it, she wasn't doing it maliciously. But I was taught from a very young age like to be in my masculine power is to be shameful. Right. And something about Iron John is really helping me work through that. And I think a part of the will to power. Is the taming of that masculine dark energy that could that can like it can help you create a company, yeah. it can help you guide your out al- or your friends through a fucking war zone, and I do think that to shun it completely is to not to be a complete integrated human, and I think it's something to contend with when you're in your twenties and your thirties.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well said. Um, I mean, I definitely think that's why Jordan Peterson is so popular. I like. I've always absolutely. <clears throat> I've always sort of known, you know, uh, growing up, like I've, I've sort of gotten some, you know, I gotten fights and stuff like that, you know, I was very egocentric and, um, you know, kind of almost sim- similar sorts of backstories a little bit, you know, just flunking at school and thinking I was the shit. And, um, it, you know, but I knew, I knew there was like power in that, you know, but it, and it, it wasn't until Jordan Peterson sort of articulated it. And I think he was quoting young and I love this. I, I even, Titled like a podcast episode I did about it, it's like no tree that's said to grow to heaven doesn't have also have has its roots in hell. And I was just Absolutely. like, I was like, damn. See, that's what that's what I think young can do for you. And in, in my opinion, it's like you know the first the first book that I read by him was called The Undiscovered Self. Yep. One of his later books, but it was a short one. It was in this library down at the Ayahuasca Center. Those at so I picked it up and I was like blown away by like just how lucid and articulate uh he was and i was just like and deep yeah
2: profoundly
0: deep
1: like it makes it hard for me to read books that come out now like almost every book on the new york times bestseller list it's cool it's written well it's easy to absorb but it's so shallow i don't mean that in like a bad way I, i don't mean like as it's trying to deceive you just it doesn't go deep yeah but like when i read young man like i will cry sometimes my fucking body will just erupt in goosebumps I sometimes have to put the book down and just sigh and say, "Oh
0: my god." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that. I the first time I think I've ever done that. I I said out loud. I was like, "Holy shit." Yeah. Yeah. Like I was yeah. I, I was I was acting like a like a hype man for like the book. Like I was like, "Oh no, he sure. didn't." I was like, yeah, <laughs> "Yeah. Yeah, get him." Like next you yeah. know, next every sentence. I'm pretty sure I
1: did that this morning or it was either this morning or yesterday morning and he said something <laughs> and i write down the quotes and i don't have it at the tip of my brain right now but i just i had to put down the kindle and just take a deep breath like fuck yeah yeah and that's why i fucking love
0: so do you to read his shit. do you think that it's because he's touching such a deep profound universal truth that it does that
1: yes so i th- the thing about jung that people who haven't <clears throat> studied his life might not know is He was a psychiatrist and he worked with specifically people who had hysteria. And then he started to work with people who had schizophrenia. And he tried to use the psychoanalytic method on people with schizophrenia. And here, this is my hypothesis. I think that his meat suit, because I think when our meat suit engages with a human, it learns way more than our conscious mind is aware that it's learned like when you're with someone you love or a friend or a coworker you're absorbing information from their meat body right. that your conscious mind isn't even aware of and it's because that's how we interacted in the world before language for you know 50,000 years right so he was interacting with schizophrenics for you know 8 to 10 hours a day for like 4 or 5 years and he had a psychotic break for about 4 years Oh. where he would get through his practice, but then at night he would just hallucinate for hours and he would contend with his hallucinations and he would write them down. And the Red Book is actually the byproduct of his four years of him. Basically, He he, I think his meat suit learned how to have schizophrenia.
2: Hmm.
1: And the thing about schizophrenia, in his opinion, is that... The thing that's happening in schizophrenia, it's coming from the same source in the human psyche that produces dreams, which is also the same source that produces myths and religion. Mm. And so he it's almost like he learned how to break his ego enough where he got direct access to the thing that makes myths in the psyche. And then all of his books after his psychotic episode of four years, that's when he gets insanely deep. And I think it's because he, you know, he went to the abyss and he stared into the abyss. You know, there, there's that quote by Nietzsche and it's beware staring into the abyss because the abyss will stare back into you. And I think that there's this like, like a part of me kind of feels like I'm going to encounter this in my own unique way at some point. But if you study the thing beyond the ego in the individual psyche, where myths and dreams come from enough, it contaminates you. Hmm. and it it'll help you be a creative genius but you bring with it crazy yeah and i think his his depth comes from the fact that he was brave enough to go further out into the abyss than almost any human i know who speaks english or who wrote english and that i've heard about
0: yeah wow i mean that's that is just like i'm all about that that's fascinating stuff and uh yeah, it, 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 I feel like I relate to that, too. I think, I think I've think i went went through my, you know, a period of that. Just when you were talking about that, like, being in that that space, that, like, eternal, infinite, like, vortex of dream space and psychedelic space and schizophrenic space. And I think it's all, they're all, like, interconnected. It's just, like, I picture it in my the head. The same water, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's the same water. It's the same stream of just, like, never-ending sensory input data just, like, coming and ambushing you and you know it's like we're you were talking about the meat suits it's like well we have to sort of be limited to a certain kind of range of data that we can interpret to like function in our lives but um yeah and, and it reminds me of like Joseph Campbell who, I think he said like the madman and the mystic swim in the same waters it's the mystic who comes back and the madman drowns and uh,
1: yeah, the, he's able to swim and the madman drowns
0: right and that sounds like young young is able to swim but um, yeah, I feel like I've, I've definitely, I've definitely experienced that, you know, venturing out into that really deep area. Um, it's kind of scary too, because you really do feel like you're like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm losing it here, man. I'm, I'm fucking crazy. Like this is it. It's over.
1: (laughs) I've been there and the, so there's a couple of things. Um, It's why Jordan Peterson always quotes Jung's quote about whether or not you should do psychedelics. And Jung's quote was basically, um, beware of unearned wisdom. And that quote continued, is basically like, when you walk into the room where God is, and you feel and you witness the weight of what this life is, It puts on that ego a tremendous amount of responsibility that might fucking crush you. Like, there's a myth, you know, there's a mythological motif that God cannot reveal his true form to man because man will burst into flames. Right, like Indiana Jones. Yeah. And (laughs) I think that that is the thing about psychedelics that you really have to be mindful of is that, if you go deep, you will walk into the room where God is ablaze and you might fucking not come back. Or if you do come back, you are forever altered. And I don't it's not always good. It's it's not always psychedelics are not always good.
2: Yeah, no, they I mean can, it's a good point. Yeah.
1: They can hurt you. And but I don't regret any of my trips. Uh, And I'm going to continue to use them For the rest of my life Or at least as far forward as I can see Yeah Because at least for me personally My default ego Is so fucking Rigid and strong And I don't think that that's a good thing That I'm able to do psychedelics Often And it almost Recalibrates My insanely rigid ego
0: yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's that's it's a lot of uh, what psychedelics do is they quiet the default mode network in the in the brain. So it's like the sort of you know the dictator that orders everything, and then you know when you take a psychedelic, it quiets that down. So it's able you're able to have a little bit more of uh, peace, I guess, you know, or harmony and things. Um,
1: and what's what's also interesting is from a phenomenological point of view, like what your experience in the world is actually like, our experience is something that is the result of our nervous system because of hundreds of millions of years of evolution has learned how to, has learned the 99.99% of the things that you can ignore in your sensory environment uh, in coming from the objective world. Yeah. That, The world that we perceive is a super, super, super low resolution objectification of an infinity soup that needs to be that way so we can fight off other animals and fuck other animals and reproduce. (laughs) When you do a psychedelic, it, it, it interferes with that thing in your mind that makes the world simple and you start to see how complex it actually is. Like it's so complex that if you lived in that, you would never be able to move right? or think or fuck or eat. And it's something that I worry about, about like, well, not really actively worry about, but it's a reason why I have a healthy respect for doing psychedelics and not trying to go too deep too often is I want that dumbing down mechanism to work properly. I want to be able to know that it's there and that it's doing that. And that the reality that I see is not the true reality, but I want it to work.
2: Yeah. Yeah, man.
0: I, uh, I broke mine once. It was fucking crazy. It was, uh, it was nuts. And, um, how
1: long did it take for it to come back?
0: A long time, uh, a long time. But, uh, yeah, it was like, uh, so I was in this period of you know, I fucked up, you know, like I said before the podcast, like I was an idiot, you know, I was really into like Terrence McKenna, heroic doses, five dry grams, silent darkness, going deep. And I was just like going after it like every couple weeks. And there was this one, like I took like seven grams and I was in my room, you know, by myself. And I had this insane, it was, I, I, this was before the show. Are you familiar with the show Westworld? Yeah, this was oh, before th- this was before the show Westworld uh, even came out. This was like a couple of years before Westworld even came out. I had this vi- like I had this experience where I woke up in this like control room that was very similar looking to Westworld, and I was and they were like, oh, he broke he broke the machine. He fucking he fucking broke it. This idiot. He he went too far. He went too deep, too quick. He broke it. Mike. Yeah.
1: I have goosebumps all over my body because <laughs> that experience that you are articulating, when I told you about my Joe Rogan experience where I got super high, that is literally what my, I didn't see it, but it felt like I was waking up out of the computer simulation yeah. and I could hear the programmers they were above me and behind me And they were saying he's waking up Don't let him out <laughs> and, then I, and then I came back down And that is Dude, that is a recurring Archetypal feeling That I have whenever I go really deep Yeah, That this is A simulation Now I, I don't know if that's If it's I think it's an archetypal feeling That we are in the false world But I don't think false is bad I really think that this is the game of life. Like, I don't think, I think it's more true than people think it's true. And that we on some level get to fucking play this game. And what feels like a conspiracy, like don't let them out. Cause that's exactly how I experienced it as a 19 year old. Yeah. Like that I was being held here against my will. I think it's more like, and this might just be me making up a story that makes me feel good, but this is how I choose to see it. And I like to hear what you think is that, this is a game we have chosen to play and it's not done. And it's like our friends are waiting for us in the other dimension. And if we try to wake up too soon, they're like, no dummy, like you paid for this ride. Do it.
2: (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I, I got chills when you, when you said that too, man, that's, that is so crazy because that's how it was too. They were like above me and exactly the same thing. And it was like almost like a, operating room. But then when I saw Westworld, when Westworld came out, I was like, like years later, I was like, that's the fucking place. Like I woke up in that place.
1: The first episode of Westworld reminded me of my experience so much that it kind of fucked me up for like a full day, but in like a good way. Yeah. But it made me remember how I felt. But yeah, so the first episode of Westworld fucked me up because it reminded me of that experience. It was so archetypically on point.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. So it blew me away and it like shattered me to pieces for like a long time. And I, and I was like, you know, it, it, it just took some, some time to kind of like get, get a grounding on everything. Like I, you know, moving around in the world, everything just seemed so false. And so, you know, just, I, I went into this kind of like nihilistic period for a little while. And um, yeah, but I, I, I think what you said, um, like, okay, so yeah, if it's a game, right like what's the what makes a game really fun making a game a game that's like really really fun is a game that you take seriously it's like let's like let's play within the borders and within the rules of this game because if there's no borders if there's no rules then it's not a game and it's not fun it's just madness so because there's limitations to the game it's like you know, putting limitations on the game makes it fun. And then also what would make it fun, even on top of that would be, let's not like, remember, let's forget that it's a game. If we forget that it's a game, then it becomes real. If you, if you put on a virtual reality headset and you went into the virtual reality simulation and you started playing like, um, like Halo or like one of these games, like, you know, and then you got lost in there. Like, that'd be dope. Like, you'd be like, oh shit, this is awesome. Like I'm in here now, this is sick. So I think that I think that we are in a game, and uh, and the point of the game is to play the game. Actually, there's this great book. I don't know if you've you've read it, but I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite books of all time. It's called Finite and Infinite Games by James P. Carse. Um, I
1: bought it. It's on my desk. I haven't read it
0: yet. Okay, this is this is mind blowing on the level of of young as well. Like I I probably highlighted the entire book. You know, like I was just like highlighting, like the whole book is just is neon yellow on the inside. Um, so he says there's there's two kinds of games, and uh, like he he looks at, he looks at life as like it's life is a play, a possibility. It's a, it's a game. So there's two types of games. One is a, a finite game. The other is an infinite game. And the finite game is played for the purpose of winning it. Like it has a beginning, a definite beginning, and an end. And an infinite game is playing just for the purpose of continuing. To, to keep the game going.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that actually brings... So I, I want to read that book because I really like to think about human interactions, human stories, our lives, and culture as games. And I know that that's one of the books that... You know, like, you can buy a book sometimes and you can feel like this fucking book is going to be a piece of my life philosophy. And I can feel it about that book. I just haven't read it yet. Cause I know I got to read young and I'm really trying like, I'm reading like five books right now, but yeah. And I want to, it's hard.
0: There's so attention. much. Yeah.
1: But the, the, so like why I live, cause after my experience like that, I tore my life apart, like the meaning in my life. And I was nihilistic for a while. And what saved me was Robert Anton Wilson and his book, Prometheus rising. It's oh, my favorite book. Nice man.
0: I love it, that book too.
2: Awesome.
1: It, it saved my mind because I thought, oh, I can't know anything. And it was like, oh, OK, but I can create a reality tunnel. Yes. Have fun, have a lot of orgasms and help people. <laughs> and kind of the the aha moment I had is and this is a testament to how big my ego is. But I'd be lying if I said it wasn't big, but that I choose to play this game as well as I can because almost every human I've ever known does not know that it's just a game and they're suffering way more than they would if they just tweaked their psychology a little bit. And so my whole life is I want to play the game where I have a lot of orgasms. I eat great food and I have great friends and I make money, but I want to put out uh, a, a reverberation that helps other people realize that This is a game and I can have the greatest possible time and I don't have to make it hell for myself. Like for my, from my specific childhood, I witnessed people in my family who just suffered so much more than they would have had they tweaked the way they told themselves the story of who they were and what life is. And so, right. you know, I'm projecting trying to save my mom onto the whole universe.
0: Well, that's a good projection, right? Because I mean, if you do it with balance and with truth, then you 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 leave a, a net benefit for, you know, other people that are in your situation or have been in your situation, right? I think that's I think that's how we help, you know, that's how we really help people is like you know people that can identify with you that can that their story resonates with yours and then you sharing something out of compassion for people who who you know from the suffering that you've experienced and then that goes in and then it's like this this cycle this feedback loop that keeps going and going
1: yeah and um i lost my train of thought but i think it's about to come back right now
2: yeah the
0: thing
1: that no, I actually did lose the train of thought and it was a good idea but I think if you keep talking that
2: he'll come
0: back. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, so it's like this, well, Prometheus Rising first of all, I fucking love that book and I and I love that guy, Robert Anton Wilson. I mean, what a thinker. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, and 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 I think that what what happens is a lot of times it's it's sort of like, okay, well, why do you want to why do you want to help the world or why do you want to make a contribution and a lot of times yeah it comes from our own projections of what's going on in our lives but that's gonna, that's gonna resonate with other people because there's a universal truth for all for, for us humans and there's other people that have been in those situations or have been in those circumstances or are currently going through them and those are the people that you are gonna help and you're gonna affect um, you know that's yeah
1: and my train of thought came back I really appreciate you holding it when I fucking lost it no problem killed it Mm-hmm. Um. So I think this idea that you're talking about, it's why I, so if you look at like what the West and the East offer in their philosophies, at least for me personally, the way that I see it is the East teaches how to let go of the game. And I think that that's really good. But I think what the West shows or the way that I interpret the philosophy of the West is how can you leverage your addition to the game to play the game in the best way that helps the most amount of people, right? And I can hear my bias in my interpretation, but I can only work with inside my bias.
2: Yeah. But
1: I personally find it better to hone my ego, human suit, human nature addictions to try to like rein the horses towards a goal that could help the most amount of people as opposed to learning how to let go of the horses. Right. I think what the East philosophy does is like, don't try to control the horses, let go of the horses and recognize that, you know, is to have no attachments. I actually want to, I think at least for me, and I really think for people who were raised in the West, the way that your psyche Will work best. And this is a hypothesis. I don't know if this is true. But instead of trying to give up your nature and let go of it, I think trying to harness it towards a worthy, quote unquote, heaven that you could manifest the kingdom of God to use a metaphor in the world. So essentially, I think it is better to try to play the game consciously than to cultivate the ability to put down the controller.
0: Right. Yeah, I think, I think I agree with you. Mm, You know, yeah, I think I agree with you. I think that I would also add that like, for me, yeah, I think that there's value in that Eastern mind approach of of letting go. You just don't want to let go too much, you know, because I think what good you know i think ramdas said anybody could be well adjusted when they're sitting in an ashram or in a cave somewhere try try being enlightened you know and spending a weekend with your parents you know it's like Absolutely. how how can we actually and I, and this is a lo- large part and maybe we'll segue into this now this is a large part of what uh going and, and doing drinking ayahuasca in the jungle is about and and other sorts of plant medicines and you know psychedelic experiences in general too but having these big experiences like how do how can we integrate that into our lives and i i want to i want to hear your thoughts on this but first i also just want to say that something this quote by Krishnamurti really resonated me, with me a lot, and and it has been kind of like ringing in the back of my head. Where he says, like, it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society. And I was like, ah, so so if we're if we're healing ourselves, but we're healing and we're acclimating to the current cultural climate of like where you know this this world that we're living in now, where there is so many issues, are we even really doing anything? And I don't know, maybe there is a lot there, but maybe you know you can touch on some of that, what I what I just said.
1: Yeah, I do love that quote. And I do think that there is a lot going on there because I think on some level, the greatest thing that you can possibly do is to actually heal yourself. And then there's this unspoken reverberation that your being in the world healed has on everyone you meet, everyone you love, everyone you talk to. And so I I think that I, that actually does more good than most people think almost no one oh one
0: second you feel. kind of uh kind so, of kind like, of lost you there for one second that- yeah, you were saying uh that you you can heal yourself and that and that has uh, reverberations out in the world with everyone that you come in contact with um, and then i then you I dropped you
1: yeah. I think people underestimate the amount of good that you can actually do in the world by just fixing your own bullshit. But I do agree with the sentiment that I think that that quote is getting at, is that the world is sick, or the world is not sick. Our culture is sick. Mm. And I think once you've put yourself together enough to make an impact on the culture, then begin. My thing, my rebuttal to that or my caveat to that is really be honest with yourself about have you put yourself in order? before So, like, I, I love the idea that JP, Jordan Peterson puts forward, and it's that a 21-year-old who can't keep the room clean wants to revolutionize the way we do the way we do world economics. Right. And it's like, hold on. Like, if you're if you treat people around you like shit, if you constantly cheat, if you don't talk to your parents, if you can't keep your body in shape and you want to try to critique the structure of culture, like, even if you are sincerely genuine hearted and trying to help, are you capable? Or are you going to make it worse? You know, and the idea that I heard him say is like, if you've only ever drawn with a crayon the outline of a helicopter and you see a helicopter in front of you and it needs to be repaired and, there's a, and the person you love is going to have to be on the helicopter, even though you genuinely want to repair the helicopter, are you capable? And the answer is probably no, motherfucker. <laughs> Get your shit together and then critique the world.
0: But you could be the guy on the sideline going, I know everything that's wrong with this helicopter and I'll just I'll tell everyone. And I know I know (laughs) I could see all the angles here, but I don't actually know how to do anything.
1: And if you get close to that person, you will recognize that that person is full of fear, won't ever create anything and is bitter as fuck. Yeah. So I, I would recommend you not be that type of person.
0: Good recommendation. I think I've definitely had <laughs> moments of of my life where I've been that person. You know, it's same, uh, same. It's difficult. Like I, I know, yeah,
1: I know, in how much fear I was, and how insecure I was, and how incapable I was when I acted like that. And right. So, like, I can. I, it's so easy to see through that shit. Yeah. Like, it's almost always dudes that you can tell had some power in high school. And they're like 25 or 26 now. This is at least (laughs) what I see in my life. And they're not strong in their body. They haven't tried to become skilled at some craft. And they have some job where it's really easy to do. Like maybe they sell cell phones or they wait tables. And they think they have it figured out. And I can just see them like, dude, I was you and you're full of shit.
0: And they're like, "Fuck you! I got it figured out. I got the pussy figured out, motherfucker."
1: <laughs> yeah. So I don't say it to their face because it's it's a waste of my time. But it's, right. it's this it's this sadness and also this urging to want to hug them. Yeah. And
2: yeah.
0: I know this is where we started off the podcast with when I when I was talking about something that you said that I wanted to, where I wanted to reach out to you. I think it was on Aubrey's podcast and you were talking to him and you said something that I really thought was really, really good. You said that when you're talking to somebody like that, that you, you, you don't talk to the ego, right? And you, maybe you want to say it. Do you you know what I'm talking
2: about?
1: For sure. yeah. Yeah. And it's, so if you're in love with someone and I'm actively trying to be in love and in truth with everyone I meet and I fuck up every day, but, When you're in love with someone, the best thing that you can do for someone you love is to not engage their small ego as they put it forward to you. And they will do every time they're mad or sad or jealous or tired. But to see the God in them, like to see the human that you know they could be and to only react to that thing. And you do this weird alchemy where you actually teach them who they're capable of being, and you start to bring it forward. And it's the only real way to help somebody. It's not telling them that they need to work out. It's talking to the part of them that is already healthy and already fit and in love and doing everything that they want to do. And it's it's so hard to do, especially when my small self is hurt or tired or angry or wounded Mm -hmm. or triggered, but everyone's got a God a potential them that they could be that's always there, that is always watching, that can step in at any moment. And the advice I was trying to give, which really everything that I say is me trying to give advice to my current self. And it's call that thing forward by trying to talk and engage with it.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Call, call forward that, that higher Good. Um, do you, do you, uh, you, uh, you're trying to give advice to yourself um, that, yeah, that reminds me like someone, I forget who said this, but it said like, we teach what we need to learn the most ourselves. So you feel like that, that applies to you then? 100%.
1: Yeah. Every single fucking piece of advice that comes out of my mouth is me either currently giving advice to myself for some dumb shit I did just this past week or it's a piece of advice that I knew some younger part of me needed because the people who are on the path they they are becoming who they needed when they were younger
0: the people who are on the path are becoming who they needed to be when they were younger okay wow that's that's some that's some dropping some knowledge here man um <laughs> that's good well but yeah and then i think that's like so who, who did you who, who did you like look up to? I guess, and not in terms of uh, dead authors or, or anybody like that, but in your life as you were kind of coming on this path, were there people that you were looking towards and going like, "All right, I want that to be like my future self."
1: So, there's you're not going to like the truth. The truth is that um, there was no one in my meat suit life that was someone that I looked up to. So I had to go to dead authors. Okay, Like that was what I had available to me. And so the people that I tried to be like was first it was Socrates. He was my Jesus. And then it was Buddha. And then it was Nietzsche. And then it was Jung. And then it was Jordan Peterson. And then it was Tim Ferriss. And then it was Aubrey. And, I, you know, it, it would probably weird him out if I said this to his face, but, like, the one meat suit person that I was like, I see pieces of that that I want and who I could be. I, I don't want the whole thing, you know, because I don't want to be him, but I want to, there are things that he is doing that I want to absorb. And, dude, the life I have now, it's, it's surreal, and it makes me think, this is a motherfucking video game because <laughs> the only two living... No, the only three living people I've looked up to, I've met in the last six months. I've met Tim Ferriss, I've met Jordan Peterson, and I work for Aubrey.
2: Yeah,
0: nice. So you're like, you're on like level, level 50 or something right now. <laughs> you're leveling up. See,
1: it scares the shit out of me because here's how my mind kind of, because I don't have any other life to compare this to, but. Based off of the myths and the stories we have, um, either I'm super, super special, and my brain doesn't want me to admit that to be true because of the ego inflation that comes from it. The the other thing is, like, I'm going to die really young because I'm peaking or it feels like I can't get much higher than where I'm at. And if I'm being honest, I don't think that that's true. I think, for whatever reason, I think that my... I don't know why I believe this, but I feel like my peak moment is going to happen in my forties, mm. like when, when I'm going to need to show up in the world at my best it's going to be in my forties. I don't know why I have that feeling. I, I think that way, way too, way actually.
0: No, yeah, I, th- I think that way too. I think it's, I think that way. I'll tell you why I think that way, and then you could tell me why you think that way. But I, I think that way because I think like ah. Uh, I still have so much to learn, you know, I still have so much to experience. Like, I I feel like I'm not really going to be ready to start really, really becoming an authority on anything until like I'm in my mid 40s, you know. But yeah, maybe that's the story I'm telling myself and maybe I'm limiting myself, you know, I don't know.
1: Yeah. And I've thought about that, too. Like, I feel like I have this piece of philosophical, psychological work that I want to give birth to that I don't think I'm going to give birth to completely in, until I'm in my forties yeah. or maybe it's in my forties when I'm going to be asked to kind of like represent it to the world. I don't know why I have this feeling, but it's, uh, I'm big on trusting my feelings. But so when I really give myself a moment to think about like where I'm at in my life, it kind of scares me. But I think that, but when I really think about being afraid, I think it is because I've only been given bad stories about this type of shit. And I think that if I just continue to try to be in my truth as much as I can and to try to be in love as much as I can, which really is the same thing as being in complete truth with yourself and the people that you're around that it doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't have to end badly. I just, I, I need to stay humble. I need to work hard and I need to be honest And I, I feel like some part of me feels like that's a protective shield from the woes that can come from flying too close to the sun.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, and uh, do you ever feel that when you're, you're on this journey, you know, you're, you're accomplishing these things and you're meeting your heroes and, and it feels like this surreal moment. Do you ever feel like, um, I don't know, uh, I guess like, oh no, this is too good I need to do something bad to like, you know, there, I guess what I'm getting at is like, I feel there's a lot of people out there that that get into these sort of like self-sabotage sort of patterns. Sure. You know, we, we sort of limit ourselves, you know, I, I don't know where, where did that comes from, but are, do you experience yeah. any of that? Or, or maybe you have some insight to share on why people in general experience yeah. something like that, something so good. And then you're like, nah, I need to fuck this up. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I think it comes down to basically, I don't feel that.
0: Yeah.
2: And
1: I think the reason I don't feel that is because I genuinely don't have a secret. And I think people who feel like they're doing something wrong, and that almost always comes from having a secret that they know is wrong to keep a secret. And it could be something like from childhood with your mom, it could be something from like a girlfriend and you haven't spoken that truth, some deep part of you feels like you don't deserve to get good shit. Hmm. And so you will fuck your life up. But I don't feel that because I've tried to, I have tried to have done the work to have spoken the truth to the people that needed to hear it. And so I feel like as long as I, I guess what I do to kind of combat that feeling, and I'm just having this insight right now is I purposefully am trying to do things that I don't have to do, but I do anyways simply because they make me afraid. So like, yeah, you know, it, it's almost like to off balance my good fortune. I'm constantly trying to do shit that scares me. Like I'm a hardcore introvert and I hate going to clubs. And like, I went to a club the other night and I didn't fucking want to go and I didn't enjoy being there, but I went cause my friends asked me to go. And I knew it was something that would be hard, and I did it anyways. And then I had an amazing dream that night. And I'm super big on like I try I pay a mate, like I give a disproportionate amount of attention to my dreams. Cause I think that they're day-to-day feedback from your psyche about are you are you living your life well?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um so
0: and, and, and Eric, what, is, what does that feedback yeah. look like when you're living your life well? Like, what does that feedback from the dreams look like?
1: So, dreams are hard. I'm going to be honest, I don't understand them as well as I know I could by the time I'll be done with Jung. And they're a type of phenomenon that is not completely containable inside of logic. Yeah. But basically, it's weird. But the fact that you don't have super intense, dreams, period, seems to be, according to Jungian logic, a sign that you're not blocking your libido in your waking life. So if I continue to have mundane dreams, that's actually a good sign that I'm not blocking my waking consciousness by purposefully not doing something I know I should, but I'm not doing because I'm afraid of it. On the Mm. flip side of that, there are specifically positive dreams where, you know, there's quote unquote small dreams and there's quote unquote big dreams and small dreams are when your psyche uses symbols from your everyday waking life. And the big dreams are when your psyche uses archaic archetypal imagery from, you know, lives that you could not have lived. And like a dream where you wake up and you feel fear, like you obviously are not processing something. Mm. I almost never have dreams like that. I almost never have nightmares. And the dream that I had the other night, there's specific imagery that represents the self, the big S self in Jungian psychology. And um, I had one of the most intensely positive dreams just a couple nights ago after I went out to the bar. And I don't think it was because of the bar. I think it's because I'm doing some other things in my life. But to go back and answer the original question, um, I think people self-sabotage because they feel guilt and most people feel guilt because they know that they're not in complete truth. And I feel like I've been in truth and I've worked through saying the things that I've been afraid to say to the people I needed to say them to, but I still kind of feel the guilt and the way that I deal with the guilt is to purposefully do things that I'm afraid to do.
0: Yeah, that's man. It, it, it It's so counterintuitive too. It's just like, and i know i know it's true you know i've experienced it myself i know it's true and i it it takes a lot of um it, it still takes a lot too to to be like oh all right we got to do this again okay well, let's gear up for this you know it's so counterintuitive why do you think i mean i know this is a, just like your opinion you know but why why do you think like we're designed that way like why why are we designed where we need to challenge ourselves to do things that that are uncomfortable and that you know we experience pain and we don't want to do and then it actually helps us and and we grow from it. It seems so counterintuitive.
1: Yeah, I think so. In the oak seed, it somehow knows the oak tree that it could be. And I think when we're born, we know who we could be and who we could be is always more than who we are. And the way you become who you could be is you grow. And the way you grow is you encounter resistance. And it never ends.
0: It never ends, yeah. It will
1: never end. (laughs) You will battle resistance until the day you die. But the really interesting thing is that we don't know how high a human can grow. Like, we've heard of legends and the men and women who grow the tallest become legends and help other humans grow taller. And I think that the way that I look at the world is like, I'm never going to be done. There will never be a time where I'm done encountering fear ever. And it's just like, fear is a part of this dance. That the more that I engage it, it's always hard. It never gets, it kind of gets easier because you start to understand what it's like on the other side, but you still feel it every time. Yeah. But like, a part of me has seen the abyss. And so it's like, fuck it. I'm going to play this game.
2: Right. Yeah. And almost
1: everyone I know has not seen the abyss. And they take this too seriously. And I really think that my way of living can help a lot of people. So I'm going to do the shit that I'm afraid to do. And the next time I feel fear, I'm going to remember that I said this fucking shit on a podcast. And I'll be like, OK, Eric, in order for you not to be a huge fucking hypocrite, you need to go do this thing.
0: And yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to make this a clip and send it to you. And every time you can, sure, you can play it, it. <laughs> be like, all right. Yeah. So what, I love the way you put that. Uh You've seen the abyss, you know, and like that's uh, kind of what I get at. Like a, a lot of times I talk about the value of a psychedelic experience on this show or just the value of a transcendental experience, an altered state of consciousness, whatever however you go about it. It's just getting out of your own head, getting out of your own way, quieting the mind. Looking into that abyss. I like the way you put it. And uh, it, it adds value. I mean it adds value. It 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 widens the lens of the of the you know object that you're viewing reality with. And then you see it for, for a larger picture and you're able to realize that game. Um, so it's, it's, it's tremendously valuable. And then you're talking about, you know, like moving into this, you're challenging yourself and stuff. Do you, do you feel like that that's like something that you, you like start to develop like a little, uh, you know, kind of like a, a fear challenge muscle where it's like, it gets a little easier every time or is it still remain challenging? you think.
1: It's weird. I think you can develop the muscle enough to know that you have to do it. Yeah. Or not that you have to, but that you know it's good for you. But I don't, the fear doesn't get smaller. But I think the the apprehension to feeling the fear gets smaller. And then you just do the thing over and over and over. And you know what I find is that almost all the things that I'm afraid to do, I'm really afraid Of what I think it'll be And so my fear is maximal The moment before the actual thing And then once I actually begin to do the thing Like if it's a podcast Or a date or sex Or going to a club I'm super calm I'm super like I just have to get past that barrier And you know I think it's because I, I trained my fear muscle As a kid for 21 years Yeah, And now I'm slowly Trying to reverse Really it's the fear of the of the possible thing that could be scary, which right. is the hardest thing. And I do think that, that, that gets easier.
0: Yeah. And it's, it does. It, I mean, it also, it doesn't help that we live in this sort of fear based culture too, where it's like, watch out, be careful. You're going to get a disease. You're going to get this. Don't go here. What, you know, it's kind of conditions yeah. you primes you into feeling that, like that response first. Um. Yeah. So like what, what, uh, I mean, do you have like a, I guess maybe like a suggestion as like to some people for for maybe like trying to you know walk into that moment or you know to re- recognize it when it comes up like what to do maybe like how to how to yeah you know capitalize on that
1: yeah the thing that I would offer is first start with genuinely so I think journaling is the greatest tool that most of us can use and people who don't like to write I think the only rebuttal that they can have is because they had to write in high school or whatever and it got graded but journaling isn't graded and writing actually organizes your psyche for you so i really think it's one of the best things that you can do but journal and really articulate to yourself as best as you can what the fuck you want to do with your life and just try your best to articulate what you want and once you know what you want look at what you're going to have to do to do that and then start doing the things And then you will just pay attention to your body. The moment you write down, oh, I have to get up in front of eight people at a bar and tell a joke, you're going to feel fear. The fear is actually the compass to where you need to go if you know what goal you're trying to do. So articulate your goal, write down the steps that you have to do to get there. And the first one that makes your fucking everyone's fear response is different. My fear response, because I was spanked a lot as a kid, is like my fucking ass clenches up and it kind of gets like, I almost feel like I have to shit. That's Whoa. my fear response. Yeah, I know that when I feel that, that's fear. Okay, so I'm going to look at the thing that just made me feel that, and then I'm going to fucking do it. I might not do it that day, but I'm going to make a plan. I'll put it in my goddamn calendar. I'll put it in my to-do list, and then I'll do it.
0: Yeah, I... uh <laughs> I'm going to quote Will Smith right now, I think, because he, he, I, don't, I didn't see the movie. I, I think it was just from the trailer, but it's such a good quote. It's probably been said by other people better, but he said it was some, some movies like in space with his son or something. And he like looks at his son and he's like, yeah. he's like, he's like, danger is definitely real, but fear is an illusion or something like that. And Absolutely. Then it, and, and then it's no, like, and it's, Will it's Smith truth. in space.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah
1: yeah man so many people live life in symbolic fear which is not danger and I, so I think the story that best exemplifies someone who lives in fear is there's this story of um, an American goes to a tribe in South America and uh he's being taught by a shaman and um the shaman is trying to explain fear to him and he finds a scorpion on the ground and he gets a stick and he draws a line around the scorpion and animals run on heuristics which are basically evolved patterns that they've learned to pay attention to to use to guide their behavior and for whatever reason scorpions have a heuristic that when there's a groove in the ground they can't walk past it Hmm. But it has to be like a deep, weird groove. And maybe it's because of water or something. But you draw a line around a scorpion, it won't pass it. You draw a line down the middle of the circle. The scorpion starts to move more frantically, but only in the half square or in the half circle. You do it again, where you cut the half circle in half again. And the scorpion gets more frantic, but in a smaller space. And you keep doing this until it can't move. And it will turn around at a crazy speed and then sting itself to death and die. Wow. Humans do this. It's what agoraphobia is. The moment you feel fear and you avoid the thing that made you feel fear, you've reduced the scope of the universe that you can operate in. And if you continue that strategy, you will get to the point where you're in your house and you don't leave ever. And then your fucking soul withers and dies. You know. But the opposite of that is when you feel fear do the thing. When you feel fear, do the thing.
0: <laughs> I'm just going to let that sink in for a second there. Damn, your soul withers and dies. You're going to sting yourself like a fucking scorpion going mad. Wow. All right. Well, that's a, that's a good enough reason to do that fucking thing that you're afraid of. Yeah. No. Um, awesome, man. That's fucking awesome um yeah so uh, let's let's talk a little bit about uh you uh your recent trip I think it was not too long ago that you went down to Peru what did you uh well first of all were you afraid to go
1: yep the like the moment Aubrey asked me I was terrified and I pulled into (laughs) his face uh the idea of that terrifies me but because it does yes
2: I'm in yeah
1: and I and I thought we were doing ayahuasca when I said yes. It turned out to only be wachuma, but like that was the level, or that's where I'm at in my life right now. So yeah, he asked. I was terrified. I've never left the country, dude. And I, and I said, "Yep."
0: Oh, cool, man. Well, congrats on getting out of the country and going to beautiful Peru. So you yeah. guys drank wachuma with the white wizard uh, down there. And um, so, what I've actually never drank in Wachuma had a bunch of ayahuasca experiences. What what did you think of it?
1: Um, amazing. It lasts for like ten to twelve hours. It's kind of a mix between MDMA and mushrooms. I've never experienced anything like it. Uh, I love it, and um, but truly, just witnessing Don Howard was more healing personally than I think the Wachuma was.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, what what was something about his his energy, his aura, the way that he conducted himself, the what what was it about him that really struck you?
1: So I never had a strong grandfather energy in my life ever. I didn't really have a strong father energy in my life. And to witness Don Howard especially when he's in the Maloka in the midst of ritual that type of masculine power combined with a grace that he has like my meat suit had never witnessed that in a human ever mm. and to be able to see that like i think my meat suit absorbed more information than my conscious mind is aware of and it's just like, I think it's life changing. Like I can't even articulate it, but I can feel that it did something deep and it's going to reverberate for the rest of my life. Yeah. And to compound that he knows he's dying. Like he's at the end of his life and how he shows up in ceremony, knowing that like, this might be the last time he can do it, dude, like no book, compares of any of the ancient great writers no movie compares just watching this motherfucker walk and talk impeccably it I think it fed something in my psyche that I had not ever had fed by any of the men in my life and that was honestly probably the most profound piece of the whole thing
0: yeah you I mean you just I think you just nailed it right I mean it's like you're You're in that situation he's walking around the maloka he's doing his thing you know he's in his element and you're just you're just getting these like Gandalf transmissions that are coming out and 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 picking up on it even if you're not aware of it man that's something that can only be experienced i mean you can you can't yeah. you can't read it you can't like you said you can't read it you can't see it it's just you have to you have to totally like be in your body and and totally experience that um wow that that's that's cool man i i hope to uh have some Wachuma in my future um is uh is is there is don howard sick or is he just at uh, old age is there
1: i think there's something wrong with his kidneys okay that is a combination of old age and genes okay but uh yeah
0: well he's he's doing what he loves he's doing it to the fullest and he's helping a lot of people so God bless him.
1: Absolutely, and like, it's a testament to what he knows that he can handle it the way he's handling it. Because like, he he needs no pep talks, he needs no uh, advice from anyone. He knows, and he has no fear, and it's it's fucking inspiring.
0: Yeah, that is. It's it sounds that way, and and whenever I see somebody like that, I'm always like. Yeah, that's that's a place that I would be happy getting to, you know. I think that Absolutely. you can you can only get to that place when you make it to that that age or you know when you've gotten it's all about the the life experience that comes along with living like we were talking about before. Oh, you know, I'd like to, you know, do something in my 40s or whatever, but man, I wonder what I'm going to be like when I'm in like my my 80s or or even 90s. Like am I going to yeah. be strong and wise? Like am I going to be like the strong old wise, you know, fair king or am i going to be like some shriveled up like old sack of potatoes <laughs> you know
1: yeah and you get to make a choice every day yeah about what what type of man that you're going to be
0: and really i mean eric like that that's that's kind of the key right i mean you could we could get like our minds blasted open by profound experiences and all this kind of stuff but at the end of the day it sounds it's so it's almost like simple and boring and cliche at this point now but it's like every choice that you make every day, right? I mean, this is, this is how you get to where you want to go. I mean, it's not, it's not any secret, right?
1: Yeah. It's not sexy, but the integration <laughs> is always
0: habit change. That's it. Habit change. Hey, I, I read, and I read this be, book called habit, habit, uh, recent, uh, a couple years ago. It was pretty good. I think it was a, a New York Times bestseller
1: um yeah by charles dig hug or whatever yeah
0: tra- yeah charles dig hug yeah I, I i never know how to pronounce his last name but yeah that guy
1: yeah so i actually before i got the job here at on it i was a habit change coach i didn't know what to call myself i didn't want to be a life coach i don't like that term but uh i i read all the habit books because i kind of had that aha moment that oh okay all of the work all the integration. All it comes down to is habit change. It's it's either behavioral habit change or psychological habit change. That's it. Like the difference between who you are and who you could be is the set of habits that you do every day. Yeah. Like a, a lot of people who love the woo don't like when the magic can be concretized in the science. But I really think that the science of integration is habit change. And um, if you if you liked habit, I would recommend you check out Atomic Habits by James Clear. I think it's the best habit book I've ever read.
0: Okay, cool. Atomic Habits.
1: Yeah, it just came out like last week.
0: Nice. Yeah, I read. I think it was in that book. Uh, I'll check that out. Um, He was talking about something like it it takes like two six. What does it take? Sixty days on average to change a habit or something like that. I mean, you. Yeah. Is there some? So basically. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, it was a meme for a long time that you can change a habit in 21 days. That's completely not based on science. It comes from a dude who wrote Psycho-Cybernetics. It's a good book, but not science. Uh, when they actually study how habit change works, what they found was that it takes between like 60 to 280 days, and it depends on the complexity of the habit itself and the perceived effort it takes for the subject to do the habit. So like trying to drink a glass of water every day in the morning, you might get that down. It becomes a habit in two months. But if it's like a complicated workout set that you do every other day, it might take you 280 days to really make it an unconscious process that you don't have to use any willpower or cognitive conscious effort to do.
0: Yeah. It just becomes like automatic. It's like, this is what I do now. This is like, this is the person I am now. This is what I do. Yeah. 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 I think, um, what, uh, for me, like, I think one of the things that really helped was just like forgetting about like the, like concentrating on the end goal, the big picture It was just like, all right, just, just get through today. Okay. Now just get, just get through today. Now just get through today. And then it was like, okay, now just get through this week. And, you know, I found that that was, that was pretty useful.
1: Yeah. I think people's personalities differ and it's all about like, find the shit that works for you and the way you find it is you test it in your life. Like I work super well with routine, having a clear end goal and knowing what I'm doing each day. But I know people who the idea of that makes them want to fucking scream. Yeah. And so There are different types of people. And the way to think about this that I think is really helpful is we evolved to be a member in a tribe of like 150 people. And so the tribe was a unit of natural selection. It's complicated if you get really into the details of memes and genetics. But a heuristic that you can use is like it's actually adaptive for half of the tribe to lean left and half of the tribe to lean right. It's actually adaptive for a certain 1% of the population to be schizophrenic. You know, like there are personalities and temperaments that fit when you think about them functioning in in a tribe and every temperament has an opposite. And so when it comes to stuff, when it comes to anything that has to do with personal development, test it in the laboratory of your personal life.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. That's great advice. Yeah. And I I love what you said about the tribe. I mean, like, um, uh, I read this book by Sebastian Younger called tribe, which I really liked. And, uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of good, good stuff. I'm very into the idea of like, really the way that I think human beings could function for our most optimal health and, and prosperity and wealth is like in smaller groups. And just, you know, it's really, cause you can only care about a certain number of people and, you know, it's, talking about like politics and all this kind of stuff it's like man I think things would just be a little bit easier if we if we were just in a smaller kind of more natural uh, setting where we can get along in more of a voluntary way you know like if you go out with a bunch of friends you generally tend to all voluntarily contribute and you're like all right yeah like what do you guys want to do let's make a decision okay cool let's do that and uh it's it, a little bit easier than going out, you know, with three hundred and nineteen million people. So yeah, but all about the tribe. All about the tribe. And uh Eric, yeah, thanks for joining the Micadelic tribe, man. This is uh re- it was really like really awesome to talk to you. I, I feel like uh just talking to someone I've known for a long time. So I appreciate it very much. And uh why don't you know, we're we're heading up on like an hour and a half here, but like I wanna leave uh, leave the people with like what's what what's next for you? What's next for the God man. And, uh, and what do you have planned? What's going on? And what are you looking forward to?
1: Yeah, man. So first I really appreciate you having me on. You're actually, and I don't mean to be a dick when I say, actually, you're a great interviewer. I think a lot of people, I'm not a great interviewer sometimes because I talk too much. Uh, I appreciate you allowing me to yap and talk what feels like almost the entire time. And, uh, I, I come to new ideas through talking, and I feel like I came to maybe three or four new ideas in just this conversation. So I really appreciate you creating the, the space for me to yap.
0: Cool, man. Awesome. And I
1: think, yeah, for sure. And I think going forward, um, my next big thing that I, I'm relaunching the podcast that I used to do, the Metaprogramming podcast, I'm tweaking it. I'm gonna, uh, we're going to call it The Myths That Make Us. Oh, cool. I'm going to relaunch it through on it. And, um, like podcasting feels like it's one of the things that I want to do for the rest of my life. And I haven't been doing it since I got the job at Onnit I've been working so hard trying to fulfill my roles here, but I feel like I'm getting to a point where I'm stable enough in what I'm being asked to do that I can start to reintroduce this back. And, um, there are people at Onnit who want to help me do it through it. So that's kind of the... That's the thing that I'm focused on while also just continuing to crush my responsibilities here. And also a personal developmental task that I've taken on since Peru is to try to date and to do it honestly and to not lie and to tell women what I want, which is to date multiple women and just see how that unfolds day by day.
0: Well, you heard it. You heard it here first, ladies. Contact Eric Godsey <laughs> yeah. if you're in the Austin area and he will date all of you. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I think that's just, just a beautiful way to end it. It sounds like you're on a real mission here. And, uh, yeah, that podcast sounds exciting. I mean, I, I, I would love to do this again or, you know, just talk about myths, come on your show or whatever. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's a big, uh, Absolutely, man. yeah, it's a big, um, you know, it's a big thing in my life. So yeah, we could get into maybe some Joseph Campbell or something. But um, yeah, awesome, dude. That was that was a perfect way to end the show. And uh, yeah, that's that sounds like just the right thing to be, you know, walking that path, putting that inertia out into the universe. And doors are opening where there were only walls before. So congrats to you, my man. And uh, it's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you, man. I've really enjoyed this. And let's for sure fucking do it again.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And I'll put all these links in the show notes and, um, why why don't you just tell people where they could follow you too, just in case they want to go and hit that Instagram button.
1: Uh, yeah, the place to follow me right now, the only place that I have any bandwidth to give any attention to is Instagram. It's my name, but instead of an S it's a Z, we can link it in the show notes. And, um, eventually I'll have a website that will be ericgazi.com, but that's not up yet.
0: All right, cool. Well, thanks, folks. Till next time, peace out. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Thanks again for listening. You know what to do if you love this show. Like it, share it, subscribe. Tell a neighbor, tell a coworker, tell a friend, tell a dog, tell a cat. Uh, But just share it and like it. Subscribe, please. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Spotify as well. If you want to go a step further, leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, really helps support the show. Um, we have 121 and growing right now, so everyone matters. And if you want to go even further than that, you can become a Patreon subscriber. You can become a Patreon member, uh, and you can contribute as little as a dollar a month uh, on patreon.com slash Brank. And then when you become a Patreon member, you can join the Michael Delic Inner Sanctum WhatsApp chat group where all sorts of crazy things are happening. I'm really happy that we've created that. Join up, find the others. Peace out. Thank you. Much love.